Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Welcome to episode six, season three of This Spiritual Fix. Today is part two of three of our mother wound series, specifically the great mother wound. Hope you enjoy it. This Spiritual Fix, Two Mystical Mamas Hacking the Self-Help Game with Anna Stromquist and Christina Wiltsey. Hi, Christina. Hi, Anna. So how is everyone today? We're hoping that you are well. Yeah. Right now, we are recording in a weekend in which there are a lot of solar flares coming past the earth right now. And what is a solar flare? A uh, solar flare is an eruption of basically a bunch of radiation from the sun. Oh. And it causes electrical disturbances on the earth. And it also can cause health things as well. So Does it happen a lot or often? Mm, so it's a really interesting thing because the earth, go, I mean, sorry, the sun goes through a cycle of every 11 years, I believe, in which there are periods of very relative calm. And then it starts to really pick up again. And it's really fascinating because there's this guy that I follow. Quick question. So solar yeah. flare is like flames coming off the... It's not really like flames. It's like a burst of radiation. Okay. Right. Okay. So it's a burst of gamma radiation, things like that. And what it does is that it travels, it creates a solar wind that travels through the solar system. And if it's facing Earth, it basically messes with our magnetosphere. Okay. Right. So basically... All the time, there's a pull, there's a movement of solar wind, which is a form of radiation, basically, because we have a big, huge nuclear reactor in the middle of our solar system. And there's solar winds continually pushing the magnetosphere. So it basically looks like a woman with her hair blowing behind her back, right? Whereas, like, the magnetosphere is, like, thin on the sun-facing side. And on the back side, it's all kind of, like, flowing out like hair, right? Okay. Because there's a constant wind coming from our sun. And so there's really interesting research going on. If you go to this place called Suspicious Observers and spaceweather.com, yeah, that's me. I'm all about that. Where there's a guy who's actually doing a lot of work on predicting earthquakes. And he's predicting earthquakes based on the coronal hole. So basically, there's solar eruptions that happen on the sun, right? Uh There's solar flares that cause disruptions in electric fields here. It causes health disruption, stuff like that. And then there's also coronal holes which are, they look like black spots on the sun. If you were to look at like an an IR reading or like looking at at different frequencies, looking at different wavelengths, you would see these kind of black holes. And when these black holes connect with our magnetosphere, right? So when they magnetically connect to us, they create shifts in the earth's crust. Okay. Okay. So this guy has been working on creating this predictive model for earthquakes based on the coronal holes in the sun. Okay. And it's predicted, when I checked it, was probably about a year ago. So I won't necessarily say, but they had been doing the study for four or five years and it had per- correctly predicted 93% of the oh, energy wow. released during earthquakes. Cool. Which is pretty remarkable considering that no other model has come even close as far as I'm aware. I'm not a geologist, but one of the really fascinating things that I wanted to talk about was this idea of the earth facing calm. What does that mean? So the sun is incredibly active. 
right? Like it's like, even if it has these periods of quiet and then it has these periods of activity, so often what we find is that like, if there's a solar eruption and it happens on the far side of the sun, like it happens like on the non-earth facing side of the sun, like it would never reach us, right? Because it's directional. Like if it explodes. Right. It's, we're not faced it, facing it. Right. So there's this weird thing that happens that the sun is really active except for on the earth facing side. And it's postulated by some people who like recognize that is that human consciousness basically knows that these solar flares are really bad and has some sort of effect to create a calm whenever on whatever side is facing the earth. Oh, because the the sun rotates, right? Yeah. So it doesn't seem to matter what side it's on as long as it's facing earth, it's calm. Exactly. You think it's human consciousness or maybe a benevolent alien? Could be that. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. Animals. Yeah. I, I don't give much credit to human. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you could think it. I mean, we have, uh, you know, if you talk to Robbie about this stuff, you know, we have a grid. We have like a, a crystal grid. We have like a Christ consciousness grid. We have like all sorts of crazy grids coming around yeah, the earth no, that like that aliens and all these cre- things have created around yeah. us. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So it's. I think it's a really I like interesting that. Earth thing. Earth face is calm. The earth facing calm. Ultimately, the sun is benevolent. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the thing. You get in deep into this kind of stuff and you find some really interesting stuff. I'll tell a quick story, which relates to actually what we're talking about today, is that there's a theory in the electric universe. The electric universe is a postulated theory that the entire universe is actually not gravitationally, like, so it's not gravity it's not Newtonian physics that actually governs the universe and it's all electricity. it's electricity, right? And, and it's based on a very practical application and not a theoretical mathematical. It's like, it's based on practical physics and not theoretical mathematics, which is what the vast majority of all astronomical f- physics is these days. It's based on theories and math and things like that. Whereas mm-hmm. the electric universe people are all about looking at mythology, looking at old history, and looking at and basically trying to create experiments to like create little proto suns on Earth, like oh, wow. based on using electrical fields and like getting a high voltage and stuff like that. So it's really interesting stuff. It is out there for anyone who's a scientist. Like, well, I'm sure you'd probably be like, oh, I can't believe that, blah, blah, blah. But one of well, the things. If they are a scientist, why are they listening to this podcast? Just kidding. <laughs> We're well, very you... reputable people here. Well, I, 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 well, I joke because we both have a foot in the science world. Yeah. So, one of the interesting things that they talk about in the EU, in the electric universe, is that <laughs> the sun was not always our sun, that humans actually existed on Earth when Saturn was our proto sun, which basically is like, it's like a not quite a sun, but whatever, like basically because of the movement of the bodies of the electrical bodies in the, in our solar system, Saturn was once our sun. And when it was our sun, there were no seasons, there was no day and night. And there was this red light that was always shining all over the earth. So there weren't cold regions to speak of, like there weren't cold regions in the you know, in the, on the planet, it was all just kind of this lush green paradise, very similar to what you would think of as like the Garden of Eden, uh-huh. right? And then there was this very crazy cataclysmic event in which our sun as we know it today basically electrically got pulled into our solar system, pushed Saturn out to where it is now, created Venus when a chunk of it fell off of it, And the interesting part about this is, as crazy as this sounds, is that humans, most humans perished in this experience, right? Because of gravity, the entire solar system is getting messed up. But those who survived basically created all of these myths as we know them today, right? So like every single culture has a dragon in their mythology. And it's postulated that Venus going through the, going through the, like when Venus was created, it looked like a dragon, and Mars was originally there, and Venus and Mars got very close together, which is comes with all of the mythology around Mars being male, 
Venus being like I, I can't I could literally talk for two hours about this because it's so so fascinating but oh, wow. so much of our mythology is supposedly based on this event in which a lot of people died and we became where suddenly we had this new sun and this new sun had day and night and seasons and all these things that we were not used to and the lushness of the world of this like consistency and this kind of like always having food available stopped happening Oh, wow. And it was something like 10,000, 12,000 years ago that this happened, which is around the birth of civilization. So to speak. Yeah. Very I'm putting air quotes up when I say so to speak. Very interesting. <laughs> yeah. So that is our prelude today, which will actually relate to something that we're talking about, shockingly. What was it, were you going to say, though? You were going to say something about the crazy distance between the sun and the earth and the moon and like the geometry, right? Oh, yes. The earth. This is very interesting. The Earth is exactly the diameter of the sun. Mm -hmm. The Earth is 108 diameters of the sun away from the sun. And then the moon is the diameter of the moon, 108 diameters of the moon away from the Earth. That's really cool. And there's also, a, there's also something with the size, like the fact that the moon perfectly covers the sun in its distance and size yeah. and diameter, right? Yeah. I actually heard somewhere, or I think it was on Spirit Science, that the moon is actually fake. Yes. Like, <laughs> not that the moon landing is fake. You know, not, we're not no, even no, 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 but the moon itself is yeah, alien created. I'm not saying that the, the moon landing was fake. I'm not that conspiracy theorist. <laughs> I'm more, this conspiracy theory was that the moon itself is fake, and it was created, it was put there by something or someone for it to be exactly the exact same distance that when you're in the earth it's exact same size as the sun it's like mathematically or it's like impossible so it had to have been put there it had to be manufactured i i think and, then, and the thing that i read i think it was spirit science and it was all about like that like if you tap on the moon it sounds hollow or something well, no because there was like supposedly this experiment that they did where they threw a spaceship at the moon they basically like launched a spaceship into the moon and the moon rang yeah it, it was hollow like it was hollow or something and i don't know i i did i ever tell you that this hilarious situation once when i like went off i was in i was living in indiana at the time and i went to like southern indiana near the louisville near the kentucky border and i stayed in this airbnb or no it was a bed and breakfast and we go down to breakfast and it's like a pilot and his wife and their two kids. And it's this newlywed couple. This guy used to be a um, professional baseball player. He was a pitcher and his wife who like was a juvenile public defender ran a mass assortment of people. And the pitcher is just like, so I totally am reading this book right now about how the moon is fake. And the wife of the pilot was like, yes, it's totally fake. And it was like the most insane situation of like these random ass people in Southern Indiana having this conversation, like legit conversation about how they believe that the moon is fake. That's funny. Like it was what, just, when you were there, I was, uh, Luke and I were there for a week. Had weekend. you already seen the spirit science video? About yeah. It? Like I already knew about <laughs> it. From like, yes, yes, I'm the third random person that is concurring. That is concurring that the moon is fake. So it was like this really funny situation. It was very enjoyable. I'm going to link in the show notes, the video that we're talking about. Yeah. Cause you also ancient aliens, I think actually has one as well, which is on Netflix. So you I like, I'm pretty sure that ancient aliens has an episode on the moon and how, there's just a lot of weird, unexplained things about the moon. And if you think about it, like, moons are these totally fascinating things that are able to pull with their gravity, like, the all the water towards them. They basically warp the size of the the planet. And as someone who does energetic releases, full moon disease is a real thing. Like, the lunacy that you experience. I used to work in an emergency department as a ward clerk. And the number of mental health patients who would come in on a full moon was, it was just incredible. There are things that happen as a result of the moon and it is a powerful thing. And it, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe it is, there's something to it. It's right. The yeah. tides of the ocean. And... So 
the reason that we are talking about the moon and the sun is somewhat unknown to us in the sense that it will relate to what we're talking about today. But Anna also channeled that's what we were supposed to be talking about. And then she was like, I don't know what we're going to be talking about. I was about. like, I don't know what we're talking about, but I just got a clear image of the sun. And I was like, I can talk about the sun for a good tick about some crazy stuff that, that I've heard about it and that I've researched about it and that, I mean, research in very strong air quotes. So today we're going to be talking about the great mother wound, which as opposed to the episode that we did on the my mother wound, which is all about the personal story and the trauma that we experience and the different attachment styles that we experience, this is about the great mother. So in Tantra in particular, Tantra is very much the worship of the goddess, whether that goddess comes as Kali or Durga or whatever but in either case the goddess is the mother she is the deva of she is you know she is the ultimate mother for the world and one of the things that Satyan mentions in his interview as well is about how the mother in Hinduism and in Tantric Buddhism and in a number of different other things as well as the work that I've channeled myself even when I didn't know this, the mother is everything that is external to us. Mm -hmm. It's the wind, it's the clouds, it's the water, it's our bodies, it's other people's bodies, it's the light, it's the microphone, it's the iPad, it's the whatever. I shouldn't say iPad. (laughs) I'm literally doing what's in front of me right now. It's Maya. It's the illusion. Every single thing that is external to us, all of the evil, all of the action, everything that is there is the mother. And we're going to talk about the great mother wound because I believe from the work that I've done, the work that I've done with my dowsing teacher, the work that I've done in channeling and going to these deep collective unconscious places is that many of us hold a great mother wound. Can you explain the difference between mother and father in this context? Yes. Yes. Or are we going to later? No, I'll, I'll explain it now. So the father in this context is, the father is the mind and everything internal to it, okay. right? So that's the father. The traditional father is basically everything that sits within our mind and kind of goes up from there. Okay. Right. It's in our internal center. So very much similar to what Satyan says about it's the calm, still center. It's the purpose. It's the goal. It's the drive, right? It exists as the kind of motor that directs us in a certain position, but it exists entirely internal to us, right? It never manifests externally, but everything else is the mother. And so if you're coming from a Christian background or a Christian tradition, this can be very confusing because you're like, well, there's only ever the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like, there's, those are the only three there are. And yet, if you do research, you'll recognize that actually there was a father and a mother in the Bible even. But a lot of it got cut out. And so even in, you know, this is a mystical Christian understanding, but Ashtera, I think her name, was the god that was the mother. The mm-hmm. goddess that was the mother that existed in Christian in Christian mythology and in the Torah and all that kind of stuff. That's my understanding of it. And so it's been very, you know, all of religion, monotheistic religion has been based on the fact that there is a father, God. And yes, there's also a son, you know, there's a son, there's the Holy Trinity, which is the basis for most Protestant Christianity. But that when you had to choose between having a monotheistic you're like you're not going to choose the mother you're going to choose the father right so the father got chosen traditionally but if you go into the eastern polytheistic religions where there's multiple gods you'll notice that there are multiple there's always the goddess is always present right and the further back you go you notice that there's always the goddess is always present right and she always represents a level of chaos destruction the external world in that say and the illusion in that way Mm -hmm. so that's the difference in terms of things did that explain yeah 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 yeah. okay i'm just thinking maybe that's everything that's wrong with our culture is that we don't have a goddess i I mean truly 
that's what I mean. Like when I say that I believe that there is this great mother wound, I think there are two things going on. I think that one of them is that we have a lot of resentment towards our mother because as we'll explain, she's completely indiscriminate. Like she doesn't, evil and injustice are not things to her. They're just manifestations of energy. It does, it's all the same thing to her, right? Death is the same thing to her. You never leave her so she doesn't know that death exists. It's just a process. It's just a cycle. But I also think that we're all suffering from an inherent insecure attachment to not having our mother present anywhere in our culture. Mm -hmm. And so in order to kind of describe the mother, these there's been two songs. I'll talk about one at the end. But there have been two songs that have helped me tap into her. And for me, I went to the great mother wound first because that was easiest for me. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to, or I went to the great mother first. And I started off when I did all this mother wound work, I started off with the mantra was, I trust you mother. And I would, I would say it over and over again. And I was saying it over and over again because I was stressed out about something. I was driving into Atlanta one day and these two songs came on. One is Silver Spring by Fleetwood Mac, which we'll talk about at the end. And then the other was Across the Universe mm -hmm. by the Beatles. But it, is, it was composed by John Lennon. And so bear with me, guys, because... You're a good singer. I'm, I'm going to do my best with my COVID voice and my thing, and I'm going to excuse everything. But I'm just going to sing you guys the first verse. Yeah, for copyright reasons, we can't actually play it. <laughs> right. So it goes, Words are flowing out like endless rain into a paper cup. They slither wildly as they slip their way across the universe. Pools of sorrow, waves of joy are drifting through my open mind, possessing and caressing me. Jai Guru Dave. Oh, nothing's gonna change my world. Nothing's gonna change my world. Singing all four. Nothing's gonna change my world. Nothing's gonna change my world. All right, thanks for bearing with me with that. So listen to these lyrics more slowly. Words are flowing out like endless rain into a paper cup. They slither wildly as they make they slip their way across the universe. Pools of sorrow. Waves of joy are drifting through my opened mind, possessing and caressing me. So. And then Jai Guru Deva O means, oh, I give thanks to, to the, the Guru, Guru Deva. Yep. Yeah. And the story of this. So, so my theory is as soon as I heard the song, I was like, oh my God, that's the fucking mother. She's totally, she is channeling her way through John Lennon and into this song. And then if you look at the rest of the lyrics as well, it totally aligns with that. And this is the song. This is the story behind the song. John Lennon wrote this song after having an argument with his wife, Cynthia. He said, I was lying next to my first, bed and wife, my first wife in bed, and I was irritated. She must have been going on about something she'd gone to sleep. And I kept hearing these words over and over, flowing like an endless stream. I went downstairs and it turned into some sort of cosmic song rather than an irritated song. It drove me out of bed. I didn't want to write it, but I was slightly irritable and I went downstairs and I couldn't sleep until I'd put it down on paper. And the refrain Jai Guru Deva Om is a mantra intended to lull the mind into a higher consciousness. Right? So, and so the reason that this song exemplifies the mother so much is because thought and emotion, sorrow, joy, it doesn't matter to her because her mind and her heart are so completely open. It's just like a caress. She doesn't label it. She doesn't say, this is sorrow, this is joy. Joy can come in, but sorrow can't. No, she's just like, here it's I am. It's fucking caressing me. The emotion is caressing me. The thoughts are they're they're 
they're just making their way wildly across the universe. They're just energy. It doesn't have a label. There is absolutely no fucking judgment. It is completely indiscriminate. And nothing is going to change my world because I accept every single fucking thing without any resistance. Right? Nothing's going to change my world because nothing can change my world. Because I am me. I am everything. I am birth. I am death. I am fucking sex. I am, I am love. I am evil. I am injustice. I am genocide. I am war. I am fucking anything is all her. It's all her. And she's completely indiscriminate about what is acceptable and what is not. And you know what? Depending on where you are in this mother wound, that could really piss you the fuck off if you're a human having to live in this world. Because we're sitting here as humans and we are the product of our creation. The world that we live in is just this huge melting pot of all of our errant thoughts that we've judged good mm -hmm. or bad, of all of our emotions that we've judged good or bad, of all of our resistance that's just put into this fucking creative melting pot that is the earth. And this is what's come out, the world that we're living in right now. This is the moment. This is what our, this is the product of being given the freedom to do whatever we want with the mother's gifts. So if you're in that space, <laughs> your injustice wound coming full oh, out. Oh yeah, mother wound is a lot of injustice. There's a lot of injustice in it. There's a lot of, there's a lot of abandonment too, because you know, if you feel abandoned by your creator, you could get mad at the father, right? But, oh, the father's always get, he always gets off the hook, right? Because it's his fucking divine order that he's like, oh, you're, I'm teaching you patience or I'm teaching you whatever. But the mother never gets off the hook. And I think that's ultimately the thing here is that if you are feeling, if you're hungry, if you don't have food security, if you are dealing with daily injustice, systemic racism, if you're dealing with any of these different things going on, you're pretty fucking pissed off at the way that the world is right now. And you're pretty, and, and naturally, I, do, I think that it's directed at this mother that is has, that has abandoned us, that feels as if she's abandoned us, that feels as if she's betrayed us, other than the fact that she's literally given us everything. So the thing is, okay, so, so that, <laughs> but we, and we take and take and take and take from her. Yeah. So that's the first level of this, right? Is this understanding that, and that's, it's amazing that you use that language, right? Cause I want to tell you guys a story about a guy from, about an author named Daniel Quinn. And he talks about this and he talks a lot about this take culture that we have, right? This basically completely destructive culture that we live in. He says it's not humanity. It's actually a specific culture that exists within humanity that has taken over the world. So I just want to explain this, this thing because I've mentioned it a couple of times. And so I'm going to kind of explain it for a couple minutes here to give you guys more, to give you guys more context for what I'm talking about in this particular case. So... This author, Daniel Quinn, he writes three books. He has written a lot of books, but these, there's a trilogy starting with the book I Am Ishmael. And I Am Ishmael is a book about a gorilla talking to a man. It's basically very didactic, using that vocabulary word again, meaning it's a story that's loosely veiled to expound a philosophy. Mm -hmm. And this philosophy is based on the theory that all of those civilizations that came out of whether it's because we had a proto sun in Saturn that switched to our current sun basically that the idea is that the Indus the Tigris and the Euphrates all of those cradles of civilization they arose from a desire to no longer trust mother nature to provide for them so agriculture, as we know it, was devised because hunter-gatherer like mentality, the way of doing hunter and gatherer and being able to trust that you will be provided for without having to store food, basically no longer became a viable option to a small subset, a group of people, basically. Okay. 
well, that's kind of the how we relate back to that original story. Because like, if you had a Garden of Eden in which you never had seasons oh, and you didn't have day Saturn and night, your son. then you're like living in this perfect, beautiful paradise. And then all of a sudden, if something switches from that, then you have seasons and you have winter. And now suddenly you have to store food, which you didn't have to before. Okay. Right. So that could also be the fall from grace, the Garden of Eden. That's exactly it. So he talks, Daniel Quinn talks a lot about how that story exists in so many different cultures beyond just the Judeo-Christian Judeo Old Testament and how this story is like a very typical story. He goes on to basically say that this culture that resulted from this agricultural, like the creation of agriculture, was called the taker culture. Because the taker culture believed in a totally new idea, which is that they could not just subsist on what they needed to take it. They needed to make it so that other things could not survive. Like they basically were the first culture that we've ever seen, as far as we know, on Earth, who were willing to remove the resources of other things just because. So whether that's the resources of other wild animals or other peoples or whatever. And so the idea is that this, these taker cultures that were basically created on Earth eventually took over Earth. And so the lever cultures is the opposite. And those are the traditional matriarchal cultures. Okay. So all of the indigenous one nation cultures that existed in North America were all levers right? Because they existed, even if they warred between themselves, they existed in such a way that one was not willing to take away the resources and take away the other one's means of survival, right? right? They weren't going to take more buffalo than they needed because then you would risk taking, and obviously that's a stereotypical thing to say buffalo, but you know, they weren't going to do that because yes, they had to store food. Yes, they had to do all that, but it was in harmony with their environment. Right. Whereas the takers are just like slash and burn. Just yeah. kill everything. Right. And basically what he comes down to in the end of these three books is it, it gets extremely complicated and I won't get into it, but is the idea that the fall from the Garden of Eden was actually the moment in which we stopped trusting the mother to care for us. It was our insecure attachment moment. Yeah. We did not trust that the earth could nurture us without us having to manipulate it. Mm -hmm. So, it's a lot of information. Fascinating. Yeah. So, can you talk about the collective unconscious now? Ooh, I love the collective unconscious. <laughs> about the mother and the collective the unconscious? So, the collective unconscious is, I think, what does Robbie call them again? Our shaman? What does she call them? Morphogenic fields. Morphogenic fields. Yeah. So, you can call them morphogenic fields. You can call them collective unconscious. You could call them aggregate what is it egregores 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 yeah. <laughs> i mean there's so many different the idea is that when enough people believe something energy attracts like energy and they get together and they make this morphogenic field out there and i'm like some examples of that would be the hundredth month monkey where they teach 99 monkeys on an island how to do something and then once they hit that magic number of a hundred the monkey on the neighboring islands are now able to learn it because the morphogenic field got strong enough that they were able to tap into yep. it. I mean, there's that belief. There's a lot of beliefs about women, for example. You know, women historically have not been treated very well on the planet. Going back the last thousands of years, there is a morphogenic field that contains suffering. So, for example, if you're a marginalized group, let's say you are trans or of a minority ethnicity mm -hmm. or you are a woman or whatever, you are going to have attachments in your consciousness to those morphogenic fields. And Eckhart Tolle calls them pain bodies mm -hmm. because he says that they get together and then they kind of grow and expand and you can get tethered up and tied up in them. And that's why, for example, when women are experiencing PMS, it's we are basically tapping into that pain body of womanhood, the collective unconscious or the morphogenic field of women suffering from the oppression of a patriarchal society. I don't want to say from men because women and men 
are, I believe, in a lot of ways, equally contributing to patriarchy. Patriarchy yep. is, I'm, I'm not sitting, I'm not bashing men, so I'm not saying it's all the men that have made, given us PMS, but we're tapping into the pain that is a result of a patriarchal culture that we are all part of. In fact, research shows that the greater determinant of a child's gender roles comes from the mother and not the father. The mother actually encourages a patriarchy. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And so basically, well, what did you want me to talk about this? Sorry. No, I just, I think what Anna's saying relates to what we're talking about now is like, I think the idea is that, so one of the things that has really interested me in this whole idea of this great mother wound, right? This kind of, this theory I have that we have this great separation anxiety from the lack of the mother in our lives and how we could all benefit from recognizing that there is this force, is that ultimately the mother is indiscriminate because the mother loves everything. Okay. And that's a really important point that I can't believe I actually left out until this point, is that the work that Anna and I have been doing with the mother wound in particular has been directly related to removing the hindrances that keep us from the unconditional love of the mother. Mm-hmm. Satya and Suzanne, in the interviews that we did earlier this season, talk about how the aspiration of the divine feminine is love. The aspiration of the divine masculine is freedom. The mother is pure love and energy all the time. And yet we are the ones who are creating the, the block that doesn't feel, that judges something and then rejects it that creates all these basically boundaries that we put into place that stop us from experiencing the unconditional love and so the work of healing the great mother wound is the work of removing those hindrances and trusting and accepting and feeling the love that is pervasive everywhere all over the place and that is on all three levels of form. That's on the apparent level, that's on the subtle level, and it's on the great level. Like it's on the ultimate, the zero state level, right? Because ultimately trusting the mother, like the mother, you know, it's recognizing that if you're not the doer of action, if you're not doing anything, then the world is moving through you. Like we mentioned in an episode that where your attention goes is incredibly important, right? So those are the tools that you have with the mother is your attention, is your ability to remove your hindrances and pay attention to the love and open your heart as big as possible to the love, right? And when that starts to happen, the mother seems to work in your favor on the apparent level as well as all three levels. So what was interesting was that as I've been exploring this from the personal story, the my mother wound level, and also, Anna, you've been doing a lot of work on the great mother level, right? Do you want to talk about that? Do you want to, or do you feel like you talked about it in the last episode? I can, I mean, I can, I can go into a little bit more about yeah. the relationship with the collective unconscious and the mother wound. Is that yeah, what? I actually was wondering if you would be willing to talk about like, your experience with opening your heart to the mother wound? Because I feel like you talked about that in the last episode, but do you want to expand on that at all? Well, that's what I'm saying. Do you want to expand on that at all or, um, or reiterate it? I could reiterate it. I'm just trying to think of a way to like put it into words. So for me, the great mother wound work, I call it the Ram Das work of opening up to the heart. And it means to let anything pass through you no matter what it is. So for example, when we do Vipassana meditation and you sit on your mat, whether the sensation that you feel is pleasant or unpleasant, you're supposed to remain equanimous, meaning re- meaning, st- stop judging everything as it comes in. And if you do need to judge it as pleasant or unpleasant, but let your reaction be the same regardless of how it comes in. Because if you perceive it as pleasant, you want more of it, you're just generating more craving. Mm-hmm. And if you perceive it as unpleasant and you want to push it away, then you're creating more aversion. So you're constantly given at any given time, you're given pleasant and unpleasant sensations, whether you're aware of them consciously or not, mm-hmm. or you are, aware, or you're unaware, whether you're unaware of them or you're aware of them, you're constantly being bombarded by either pleasant or unpleasant situations. So for me, the mother wound is about learning to be indiscriminate as she is, which is to say, 
that I keep my heart open, even if that means it's unpleasant. Because I've noticed that I have closed my heart off. It's almost like, you know, like, you know, when you enter and exit a supermarket and the doors just open and close, Mm -hmm. it's like, I have a button and I've been shutting my door and all the things I don't want to feel. And then I want to open the door when the things come in that I want to feel. But guess what? When you're constantly shutting, the door gets jammed. It's like I have been living my whole life trying to shield my heart from the things that hurt and trying to turn it towards the things that don't hurt. But if you're closing your heart off to the things that hurt, you numb your heart. And I was talking to Ram Das about this, and I said, you know, it's incredibly scary and incredibly painful to live from my heart. And he says, it's because you've been living your whole life not from your heart. So it's extremely scary in the beginning, and it's extremely difficult in the beginning because it means that your whole world is going to change. We, we put up these armors and these protections and these barriers to keep us from actually feeling. You know, a baby feels everything. Look at the baby. They haven't put their armors up. The baby smiles. The baby cries. The baby just feels everything that they feel. And we don't do that. We're very calculated and guarded and careful and, you know, We're not going to say this. We're not going to say that. We're going to protect ourselves from this pain. I'm not going to watch the news because it disturbs me. I'm not going to do this because it's jarring to me. We try to completely keep ourselves safe from feeling all these feelings. So for me, living from the heart has been that whatever comes in, pleasant or unpleasant, I'm going to let it come and I'm going to let it be a guest in my heart. So that, that might mean that the homeless man I see on the street makes me feel tremendous sorrow for a moment. Whereas usually just go straight to work. Don't look at him. Just keep going straight. No, like I'm going to let myself feel that tremendous sorrow for what we've all contributed to on this planet that we would let a fellow brother or sister live like that, you know? Yeah. I'm going to feel it and I'm going to let it come in and I'm going to let it be a guest. And I noticed that as I let the feelings in more and more, they don't stay around as long. And that's been like my fear is like, my fear is if I let it in, I'll always be sad. I'll never stop being sad. But I feel that the more I let myself open up to everything, the more indiscriminate I can be. And I can be like, well, sorrow is part of life. Mm -hmm. This is part of it. 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 So that's where I am. I mean, I don't... (laughs) No, that's brilliant. That's beautiful. But this is where I have been. I've been trying to just feel everything and let it all in. Yeah. And that's it. And that's exactly, that's, that is the healing aspect of the mother wound. That's like how we start to heal this, right? Do you want to talk about women in the collective unconscious now? Oh yeah. Yeah. So going back to the collective unconscious, the Eckhart Tolle pain body stuff, I want to talk about internalized misogyny. So misogyny is hatred of the mother, hatred of the feminine. And I believe that a lot of us carry that in us. I actually think all of us do. If we were to muscle test, I would say everyone who's living mostly on the parent level. One of the interesting things that that happened to me in the middle of this mother wound experience was that I talked to my dowsing teacher and we often will just have these long conversations where he's just like, hey, yeah, give me a Zoom link and we'll talk about whatever I've been doing and things like that. And we talk about crazy sex magic stuff and crazy, like whatever is kind of bringing up. And since I've been doing all this mother wound work, I was like, all right, can you do me a favor? I want you to test a couple of things for me. And I was like, first, I want you to test misogyny, just misogyny in general in the world, because he, I think he actually brought up misogyny. And I was like, can you just test how pervasive this is? And he was like, I get that in America, a hundred percent like it's 100% saturated basically, as you could say. Like the field is 100% saturated in America for misogyny and has 100% intensity. In Europe, the field is 100% saturated and I think I said it wrong earlier. It has 100% saturation and 200% intensity. And then I was like, okay, so can you now test for me how many people have the mother wound? And he got the similar readings for everything. And so 
for me, it was validation, especially because he didn't even really know the word misogyny or misandry before I said it. But misogyny, misandry is um, hatred of men, in case um, y'all are not familiar with that less common term. And I was really just amazed by that. I really loved that validation because to me, I believe that whether it's a my mother wound, whether it's the personal level, the smaller level, of the mother wound, of your personal story and your issues with your mother that cause misogyny to be pervasive, (coughs) or whether it's this greater mother wound, you know, this greater insecure attachment of not having the mother present, of not being able to to do this, I think uh, is a source of misogyny for a lot of people, whether that's internalized or externalized, and I do think it is pervasive. And what we notice is that as we evolve through misogyny, and Anna's going to be talking about this more later on in another episode, (laughs) is that with misogyny in particular, you know, the more that we go through all these different waves of feminism, the more we're recognizing that actually there is no ideal for the feminine because the feminine is completely indiscriminate, just like Anna is talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's as we come to learn and accept and love everybody for who they are, no matter if they are the girliest, quote unquote, fakest person that you could, if they're completely made out of plastic or if they're the most, whatever you want to say, like the whole full spectrum of everything, whether it's intersex, transgender, queer, anything, any is anything is in terms of gender identity, which is not queer, but if there's any gender identity, everybody has the full, everybody can accept and love indiscriminately the full spectrum of everything that expresses itself in femininity, whether that is an expression of sex or whether or not that is an expression of the divine feminine that exists within men, mm-hmm. right? Which is something that we've talked about before. So ultimately, when you start to feel that you want to do this work on the great mother wound, the work starts with opening your heart and trusting and being vulnerable and starting to recognize that being the judgment that we place on what comes into our sensations, right? The judgment that we say, this is good, or this is bad, or this is whatever, that is not helpful for us because it cuts us off from love. It creates another barrier. It creates another dam that basically, you know, think of us, just imagine us like at the bottom of the Hoover Dam and we're all just patching the Hoover Dam in our own hearts. And behind it is this, the fucking Colorado River of love that is just going to come crashing down on us in a beautiful and wonderful way if only we can dismantle the dam as opposed to trying to shore it up to like prevent ourselves from experiencing the pain that will inevitably happen as we open up our hearts. I think that love is the presence of all emotions and not just the feel-good ones. And I think we try to avoid, you know, love has sorrow in it. Love has grief in it. Love has injustice in it. Love has so many, a whole gamut of of subtleties in it. And we try to patch it up and only have the good parts. Yep. Yep. But if you don't accept love in the form of injustice, which is a form of energy, like thinking of it as love as energy. If you don't accept that, then you're, then how are you going to know when the other love comes around? How are you going to know when the unconditional love, if you're saying that this is good and this is bad and this is good and this is bad. And you know, I did a TikTok, which Anna was so wonderful and, and kept up because I like was totally channeling it, but it was about the TikTok was about how the great mother how we have the capacity of the great mother, right? And so the idea is that the mother, as in Mother Earth, I was using Mother Earth as the example, takes whatever comes into her body, right? So whether it's toxicity or whether it's whatever, and she digests it and turns it into life in some form or another. So it's the same thing with the flower and the soil is a mixture of every single dead thing that's ever happened, right? And she is the, she is the ultimate transmutation body being right because she can take whatever energy that you have and she can turn it into something different right so a lot of ceremony if you've ever done ceremony with with one nation tribes or if you've ever done it as a witch 
you can scream into the earth all of your anger and pain and she just takes it she's like sweet it's fucking energy i don't care right she's indiscriminate it's just energy to her. She gets rid of all the labels and she transmutes it into free energy. And that I've can done be used that before and it's amazing. It's amazing. I've had, yeah, I've had, a, you know, different people yell at me and I'm just like, I'm just going to receive it as energy and not judge it. And when you can be indiscriminate and see it in its most pure form as energy, it actually can, you can just pull that in and then transmute it. That's like exactly al- like That's it. alchemy. That is the alchemy that we are capable of. That is one of our gifts on this earth. It's one of the gifts of the mother to us is the ability to transmute all energy in the exact same way that she does. Whether it's our own traumas, whether it's other people's traumas, whatever you want to say, when we start to become this open vessel, this completely open vessel, we are a transmutation being that can transform energy that has judgment, injustice wounds, abandonment wounds, whatever you want to call, well, all the different labels that come in and we are able to pull off all the labels, to pull off all the memories that can't, you know, that, that are, are rigid and stuck to things. We're able to take away the stickiness and all the resistance that exists in that form of energy and transmute it into free energy again to be used as the unconditional love that exists all over the place and is just forms of creation. Mm-hmm. So that is the great mother. That's the great mother room. Anna, do you want to contribute anything else? Oh, Silver Spring. Oh, <laughs> I was going to, you go ahead. No, go ahead. What were you going to say? If you're listening to this today, I, I, I like to always bring down these very theoretical concepts, which is why I love you <laughs> into very practical things. If you are listening to this and you're like, yeah, I can see that I have a mother wound. I get triggered by injustices and like, why the hell did the great mother flood that village? And you know, why is there an earthquake mm-hmm. here? And why does she let poachers happen and sex trafficking and, you know, why does all this happen? And, or if you recognize it more on the subtle level, like I'm pissed at my mom, I've had relationships with my mom, my mom has done me wrong. Or if you have it on another level, which is internalized misogyny, like, Hey, I think that women should be X and Y, and I'm going to slut shame and victim shame and whatever shame women and I think women need to look like this and women need to act like that and women have you know there's just a whole gamut of things you can look at with this mother wound so let's let me give you practical tips Mm -hmm. to work your way through it so if you've been following our podcast we talk a lot about access awareness and process meaning access is having access to your wound and basically feeling it and noticing it kind of for the first time. Awareness is recognizing it a little bit deeper, understanding the patterns of it, seeing how it plays out in your life, understanding where it came from. Process is using a technique, whatever technique is good for you, you know, depending on your culture and your religion and your beliefs. Maybe you're an atheist, maybe you're a Hindu, maybe you're a Muslim. Like we have people listening to this podcast all over the world. So whatever is congruent with your beliefs find a process that works for you to process it out Mm -hmm. and then I wanted to add a fourth step which is remembrance which is basically going to that ultimate level of like okay if you're dealing with the abandonment wound you come to the level to recognize you can never be abandoned and you know remembrance is remembering that we are all one or we are all connected Mm -hmm. so going into those four different things of access awareness process and remembrance we're going to each of us give you a tip so that's eight tips for how to navigate through this mother wound. Yep. Okay, so starting with access is all about uh, a situation in which you could be in a very triggered situation, you could be something else, but I'm gonna say something that I said in the last episode, which is that you can gain access to your mother wound by recognizing that you may have a sensitivity issue. Uh, I'm not going to say issue. You have a sensitivity kind of calibration. You're either hypersensitive or you're hyposensitive, meaning you have no feeling and you almost feel like a sociopath sometimes, or you feel everything all the time. And so if you recognize this in yourself and you are ready to recognize this in yourself, that means, and I'm being told this right now, channeling, that means that you have access to be able to get into your mother wound, whether it's the my mother wound, which is the the personal story, or whether it's the great mother wound, which is the greater story. All right. And I'll say that you can get access to this wound if you start to notice injustice, especially injustice in terms of gender roles Mm -hmm. and in terms of mother nature. 
Mm-hmm. So for example, if, I mean, I'm making this up, your neighbor is using formula and you think she should only be breastfeeding. Injustice, that's a mother wound thing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you are horrified that someone's using Roundup on their lawn, <laughs> that's an environmental injustice. You right, know? exactly. Right? Yeah. Or, you know, poachers of rhinos, injustice, mother wound. Yeah. So I think injustice of gender, injustices that are very genderly, gender based, injustices that are very gender specific or environmentally specific, are giving you access to this mother wound. Yep. Fantastic. And then next is awareness. And awareness is all about spreading your understanding and observing yourself. It's a very, it's a, it's the process of the consciousness watching itself, basically. And awareness, the, the tip that I have for awareness is watch your trust. Do you trust yourself? Do you trust your body? And then do you trust other people to do what they say they're going to do? You know, are you feeling a lot? Are you one of those people who has hybrid primal wounds? Like, I feel like I'm a little bit of abandonment and I feel like I'm a little bit of a betrayal and I got some injustice in there too. Recognizing and expanding your awareness of trust and how much trust you have in other people as well as yourself is going to be a great way to expand your awareness of this wound in your own life. Mm -hmm. And I would say for me that, awareness would be recognizing when are you closing your heart when are you shutting down maybe you see someone in a wheelchair in the grocery store and your first instinct is to look away to not engage Mm -hmm. that is closing your heart closing your heart to your feelings closing your heart to connecting with that person things like that so basically just starting to notice when are you closing your heart off to people to feeling it could be a compliment someone gives you a compliment you don't let it in just start to notice that notice when you are closing off yes fantastic okay so processing is how we learn to transmute these experiences within our own aura so as we talked about in the past it's like we have all this energy in our aura we have all of this stuff in our aura and our job one of our jobs is to clear out all that in our shadow work So we mentioned a processing experience that you can do, a primal scream, or literally I've done a process in which I've dug a hole in the ground and I've basically screamed all of my anger and pain into that hole in the ground because the mother can take it. She can take all of your anger at her and she will just transmute it into a form of energy that something else can use to create life. Nice. I'd say for a process that I enjoy, is it's funny because Ram Das, I get visitations from him, and he has been holding his hand kind of like a puppet, like all the fingers touching the thumb, and he would tap me on the heart. And then I Googled mudras because I was like, why is it constantly this hand position? And he kind of, sh- I basically started doing it to myself, and it actually is a heart opening mudra, which is fucking phenomenal. That like, yeah, that that is what it's it a is. Good validation, yeah. great validation. So. What I've been doing is I take my hand and I kind of, if you were picking up salt and sprinkling it on something, you know, and mm-hmm. all, all your hands are in a pincher position, I tap my sternum, which is your chest bone, and then I try to settle into my heart and I imagine or feel that the energy of my heart is as wide as possible. So I imagine that it can expand so far to my right and so far to my left. And then I imagine that my heart can expand so far in front of me and so far behind me. And then I imagine my heart expanding so high above me and so low below me. And I imagine my heart just filling up the entire universe, that it is as big as the universe and it can take everything in because everything can just float through it. Because if there's no walls up, they're not going to get stuck inside. Yes, that's exactly. And just like Krishna Das said, when your heart gets big, everything can come and go without any issues. And then finally, remembrance. So how do we get to the ultimate, the big self? How do we get to the, the ultimate state or the zero state? And in this case, it's remembering that for me, my practice of remembrance is understanding that the mother is ultimately love in any case and form. And I have put every single filter in the way in order to see it, to block that. And ultimately nothing can block that. Mm-hmm. 
And for me, it's to recognize that she can never leave us. She's always there. Like if you're breathing a breath, it is because she has created oxygen. And I mean, if you are breathing, if you are alive, the mother is with you. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm going to finish with the song Silver Spring. And for any of you guys who are fans of Stevie Nicks, she is absolutely a witch. And therefore... (laughs) since so much of Wicca is the um, worship of the goddess. Oh, yeah. Right? And transmutation of one thing to another and movement through dimensions. I just thought it would be very appropriate. This song makes me cry, and I will usually play it over and over again whenever I'm in the middle of a mother wound lesson. The first verse, and I'm just going to say it this time, it says, You could be my silver spring, blue-green colors flashing. I would be your only dream, your shining autumn ocean crashing. I wish you'd sing it. <laughs> you could be my silver spring, blue-green colors flashing. I would be your only dream, your shining autumn ocean crashing. So that's the first. And then it obviously goes into kind of the personal story about her love because she originally wrote it for Lindsay Buckingham. But I actually believe, again, just like the John Lennon thing, that this is the mother speaking through her because the part that gets repeated at the end is her remembrance of her basically trying to tell us, hey, right, this is what you can do. This is what happened, but I never leave you. Right. She says, time cast... I can't... I'm not going to be able to sing this one right now. I'm getting emotional. She says, time casts a spell on... you've got to sing it. (laughs) Time casts a spell on you, but But you you won't forget forget me. I know I could have loved you, but you would not let me. I'll follow you down till the sound of my voice that haunts you. You'll never get away from the sound of the woman that loves you. <laughs> Thanks, guys, for putting out that. But, like, listen to that. She's literally saying... That's the mother. That's the You'll mother. You'll never get away from the mother who fucking loves you. That's right. And even if you don't let her, she's just going to fucking love you anyways. And time casts a spell on you and makes you think that you can put all this shit in the way of her love, but you won't forget her. And she's like, I know I could have loved you, but you wouldn't let me. (laughs) Right? I mean, in some ways, she's going to love you anyway. And she says, I'll follow you down to the sound of my voice that haunts you. Like, she is sound. She's everything. She is coughing dogs. She's everything. (laughs) And she says, give me just a chance and you'll never get away from the sound of the woman that loves you. She fucking loves you guys. Accept it. Love it. (laughs) Stay tuned next week for part three where we talk about completing the cycle. For more resources on this, you can go to our show notes or you can go onto our TikTok at This Spiritual Fix. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done.
Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.